Okay, let's get a few things straight just as we get this episode started. Over there, if you're watching on YouTube, you see his face. If you're just listening on your usual podcast sources, that's terrific too. That's Dan Mahar. He's a longtime Ontario Hockey League season ticket holder and a prospects writer at recruits.ca, despite two things. One, I've known him since basically high school. And two, he cheers for the absolute wrong team in the National Hockey League. Somehow we get along well enough that he's agreed to come on to this podcast from time to time. So get used to him. And Dan, as always, welcome back. Thanks for putting up with me because, you know, you're, you're welcome at any time to throw in your own chirps in this direction, which I'm sure will be coming. <laughs> well, thanks, Mike. I appreciate you having me. And, uh, and apologies up front to the YouTube viewers who have to look at this face. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know about the wrong team thing. It's, you know, the world needs good guys and bad guys. And there can be a difference of opinion on who those are. But, uh, but it keeps life interesting. So We have also played our share of hockey together over the years. So I'm sure that those stories will eventually make their way out. Uh, Along those lines, this is the OHL podcast. If you are already a subscriber, that's fantastic. Tell your friends now. Get them to subscribe, like, leave us a review. It's called the OHL podcast because it's simple and to the point. I was thinking of making it the OHL podcast, as in it's the only one you need. But look, lots of people doing cool things in the space. I'd like to think this is the, but I'm not that vain yet. Contrary to popular opinion, Dansky. Contrary to popular opinion. <laughs> <laughs> no ego, Farwell. No ego. Come on. You're a, you're a collaborative fellow. We know that. <laughs> so find us wherever you get your podcasts again. Tell a friend, get them to subscribe like, leave a review, and hey, if there's a particular guest that you want to hear from at some point, send us an email, ohlpodcast at rogers.com. Let us know the topics you might be interested in, if anything we're saying resonates with you, if you hate what we're saying, if you hate me, if you generally dislike Dan, I won't go hate yet, give him time, you'll learn to hate him, but ohlpodcast (laughs) at rogers.com is the place to share all of that. And we'll definitely work on covering the topics you want to hear, getting the guests on the podcast that you want to hear from. And this podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Waterloo Regional Crime Stoppers. This is a huge week. The Mo Norman Annual Memorial Tournament in support of Crime Stoppers happens at Foxwood later this week. If you didn't know, these folks working for Crime Stoppers here locally are all volunteers. This is the money that's raised when you get those tips for helping police solve crimes. It's up to $2,000 for a reliable tip that leads to an arrest in a case. That money is all fundraised and the annual Mo, Memor- uh, Mo Norman Memorial Golf Tournament. It's a big piece of that. Check them out at waterloocrimestoppers.com and remember that it is a volunteer-driven organization. Okay, Dan, let's dive in. And I, I've been thinking about where to to start this because obviously there's a lot going on in hockey by way of the game and a bit of a reckoning when it comes to the game's culture and a host of other things but maybe maybe we'll park that and and get into some of the conversations and and finish on that note if that seems okay to you absolutely yeah there's a whole lot there to digest there certainly is that and i i think I, i i was thinking of doing it that way because i think it's also i think it's okay i want it to be okay that we can still talk about the game and talk about enjoying the game and actually enjoy the game, even while we know this much needed reckoning is going on. So we will get to that. And before we get into the latest, of course, which was the World Junior Hockey Championships, we should 
give a shout out and some recognition to the former chief operating officer with the Kitchener Rangers, Steve Biankowski, who was just recently awarded by the Ontario Hockey League and its Board of Governors, the Bill Long Award for Distinguished Service, Outstanding Contributions to the OHL. Steve, I am pleased and honoured to have the opportunity to acknowledge uh, all the things you've done for the Ontario Hockey League and the Kitchener Rangers, which resulted in you receiving the 2022 Bill Long Award for Distinguished Service. Your efforts, your leadership, your understanding of the game which probably uh, came from you being a goaltender uh, originally for the Rangers uh, cannot be overstated. And uh, we appreciate everything you've done for the league and the Rangers and, uh, and your care and consideration and leadership in making sure none of us forget the importance of looking after the most important people in the game. And that's our players. As far as I'm concerned, Dan, Rangers fans owe him a debt of gratitude because without Steve Biankowski, there would have been no Pete DeBoer. Well, you know, I, I'll tell anyone who will listen, I've been following this league and this team for a long time. And pro, without a doubt, the the best, there've been some great eras in, in Kitchen Ranger hockey, but the best bar none is the Peter DeBoer era. And that was a Steve Biankowski imperative to go out and find him and reward the fans. And if nothing else, he did plenty else, but if nothing else, we owe him for that for sure. It's funny, I thought you might go there as in best era, and it's probably not in dispute, but but do you think Joe McDonnell or Orville Tessier would like a word in that conversation anywhere? Uh, absolutely, and I think there's various criteria you could apply to the to the situation, and from pure entertainment, I, I don't think you can beat those two you just mentioned, especially the McDonnell era. You just had, you had everything in there, right? You had talent, you had toughness, you had absolutely everything you could ask for. Uh, Pete DeBoer, if he added anything to the conversation, it was probably just that added degree of professionalism where taking a lot of those players to the pro ranks as well. So he was doing both jobs of pro development and winning at this level. And it was just a perfect blend that he brought. Yeah, I think that's a great point when you look at and and the sustained success. Like when Pete DeBoer was in Kitchener, it was you you knew the Rangers were going to be a tough team to play against. And every night you came into the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium, you knew you had your work cut out for you as opposition. So again, this is about Steve Biankowski and his being awarded the Bill Long Award for Distinguished Service, an 18-year career as the COO with the Kitchener Rangers, and plenty of years on the executive committee, uh, the executive of the board before that. So kudos to him. I, I worked alongside Steve in various capacities for a number of years, and the guy had a business acumen that was basically second to none from as far as I was concerned. And I remember chatting with him just after COVID canceled the 2020 season. And he was kind of chuckling on his, his way out the door, if you will, because uh, Joe Birch had been named his replacement as chief operating officer in Kitchener. And he said, he's leaving with a perfect record intact of not having lost money in any of the seasons that he was in charge of the organization and his inner accountant, I'm sure was, was uh, very happy about that. So Kudos to Steve. Okay, uh, let's move on to the summer that it's been and international play, both the Halinka and the World Juniors, very successful for Canada in a general way. Can I say that Canada takes these things more seriously than other countries? I think that's fair, although I I might challenge the the term seriously. I think I think those kids and those other countries that you saw in this most recent World Juniors were were pretty excited. I don't know if you saw any of the interviews from the Latvian kids, but those kids were, it was hard not to cheer for them. They were, it was just, this was their, 
everything and, and they just they made the most of it and i think when you saw the emotion come out when the czechs beat the americans and you had a bunch of things that uh that would maybe call into question that point they don't take it quite as seriously having said that uh no doubt hockey is the number one sport here and it's not necessarily the case in those other countries so that that alone makes that a semi-valid point i would think at the Holinka six Ontario hockey league players represented Carson Rakoff of the Kitchener Rangers, a notable one, certainly for uh, a lion's share of our audience, but I don't know how you talk about that team without talking about Callum Ritchie, who led the tournament in points. And can we say enough about Cam Allen of the Guelph storm coming off OHL uh, defenseman of the year honors as a rookie at, and then going out to at the Holinka and performing the way that he did the draft class of 2023 looks awfully good right now oh it's unbelievable i i i mean it's hard to to label draft classes this far ahead of time but all of the signs are that this next one is just going to be a monster if you're picking anywhere in the first round you're getting a heck of a player you might even get some elite into the second round which is a real rarity for the nhl draft but uh but that helenka tournament was was such a coming out party for some of those guys you mentioned richie right at the top of the list and if cam allen doesn't have captain written all over him at the next level i mean he just does everything well has a chip on his shoulder and that that was a bit of a coming out party for him as well for followers of the other leagues in the the chl and boy did he ever put his uh his name on the radar i think that cam allen when i started watching him this past season in guelph is almost the perfect george burnett kind of player that's an interesting uh assessment and actually yeah it's it's <laughs> he is he, George Burnett always has those guys right that he uh that he relies on and and builds his culture around and I mean right from well we saw uh Cam Allen put up a hat trick here against uh, against Kitchener and that's a rarity for a defenseman let alone a young defenseman and and it really put a put him on the radar for visiting fans too, to start keeping an eye on him and then you start to see all the things he does well and, and you're right that's a that's a George Burnett guy through and through it might be a George Burnett, because I, I noticed your hesitation, but that's also because George Burnett had a guy named P.K. Subban at one time, a long time ago, completely different than Cam, than Cam Allen defensively. So maybe this is the kind of guy that George Burnett needs, because, no offense, but George is getting up there in years. He doesn't need a guy like P.K. Subban giving him a heart attack every night. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, P.K. Subban, for those that just know the modern days, P.K. Subban, Subban might not recall in his junior days, he was all raw materials all a lot of refinement needed in his game so he when you he'd frustrate the heck out of Belleville fans but they loved him at the same time because you'd see these flashes of just pure athletic brilliance this brilliant shot all these things uh and then he'd just do these things that you don't see hockey players do um structure discipline all those things whereas Cam Allen yeah is probably at the other end of that spectrum come up with uh he's already playing with a maturity that that screams pro whereas pk needed that time so yeah pk probably cost george burnett a few more hairs than than cam will but very similar talent scale yeah great head of hair just gone a little bit grayer in his older years for george burnett and i'll never forget watching a game in belleville where pk was being his pk self the shift got more than a little long and when he got back to the bench george kind of collared him and and set him to the the little spot to open the gate basically like away from the rest of the team he was being sent a message but it only lasted a few shifts and then he was back out there because how do you keep a guy like pk suban on your bench for even a period oh 
Yeah, there's an energy that comes with a player like that that you've got to you've got to take the good with the bad sometimes, capitalize when it's there, and and yeah, maybe rein them in when it's not. And I think George was the guy to do that. We uh, we saw what ended up with uh, happening with PK's career, so you can't you probably can't argue. So, okay, let's talk about the tournament that's just finished, which of course is what it's the under twenties. We we like to call it the World Junior Hockey Championships for obvious reasons. It didn't happen around Christmas due to COVID, so it happens in August. A few a few problems plaguing this tournament, and again, we're gonna we're gonna get to the the hockey culture piece, which I think is a part. I'm not gonna try to equate them. I'm not gonna try to be dismissive of the hockey culture and and the impact of the reckoning on this tournament. But let's be honest: two things were really working against this tournament. It's it's August, even in Edmonton, it's a good time of the year to not be inside at all, much less inside a hockey rink. And also, and this is one of the things I've long been critical of Hockey Canada about, we all know that this tournament is a massive moneymaker. I get it. But once it was realized that this was basically the sacred cow, the the goose that lays the golden egg, Hockey Canada has been trying to milk as much money out of it as possible. And this is where, again, I say I've been complaining about this for many, many years. Junior hockey markets like the one where we live in Kitchener and 19 others have a passionate group of supportive fans who are there week in and week out paying their 20 to 30 bucks per ticket. And then the world juniors come along and everybody's suddenly interested in junior hockey and they plunk it into a market where they can maximize revenue except they ask you for an average of 180 bucks a ticket and ain't no junior hockey fan nowhere going to be happy about that. And I think that's one of the other reasons for the low attendance. Oh, you're bang on. I mean, let's, you started with a great point that it's summer hockey. Summer hockey never looks quite the same. People have not, are not ready to get back in the arenas necessarily. So some challenges facing it to begin with. Then with the whole hockey Canada thing, which we, we can get into later, one of the things I kind of felt about this world junior talk about the pricing model, absolutely fair. They failed to read the room in a lot of ways. And it's the, like you said, it's the goose that laid the golden egg. They think they can just roll this tournament into town and capitalize, you know, 10, 20 times what they'd make in another country. But that hockey canvas scandal was stuck in a lot of people's heads. That was already turning away some people from, from jumping right back in and paying those prices. But when you have weekday afternoon games featuring Slovakia against Latvia and you're charging, you know, the range of prices were $60 to about 150, I believe, for that day game, you wonder why the lower bowl is completely empty. You can't ask people to pay those prices for those games. And I thought, had they read the room and, and trying to bring a positive spin back to this, you could do all kinds of things. Like you see that weekday after, afternoon game, reach out with cheap tickets to the Slovakian and Latvian communities, do all kinds of things with kids, try to figure out how, ways to fill those stands with opportunities for kids that just can't throw out, you know, hundred bucks to see a game like that. So I think you're absolutely right. The pricing is not, not exactly uh, in line with where people's heads are at right now. Such a great point on the opportunity you might have to, to paper the house a little bit, but especially around kids, they should take a lesson from the air centennials. It's the air mutual global uh, invitational this weekend in air it it starts it runs till the 31st of august and kids 12 and under with a paying parent are free you can go see the the three games on the opening day on saturday for 12 bucks as the adult take the kid with you for free and you know what dan let's just take this half a step further 
I think this is an area where a lot, and I mean a lot, of the 20-member teams in the Ontario Hockey League could use a wee bit of improvement. I remember going to games and being excited to do it as a kid, make no mistake, and I know there are still kids and you got opportunities for them, but I don't think markets in the Ontario Hockey League are doing enough to service the kids, and and you see older and older fan bases year after year. Absolutely. And I think uh, one of the real dangers when you're running an OHL franchise is you, you've almost got two wings of the fan base you're trying to cater to, the existing kind of long-term season ticket holders, and then the new crowd that you need to bring in and turn over. And when it becomes a little bit of a war between the two factions, that's when you get in trouble. It's not catering exclusively to your existing fan base and catering to their every whim, but you can't shut them out either. You have to recognize all the the support and revenue you've gotten from them over the years. So the real uh, sleuths in this business will figure out how to do both and, and marry the one with the other, but you're, you're absolutely right. You see around the league an awful lot of uh, catering to one or the other, but not really marrying the two and having a, a nice organic turnover of that uh, support. Okay. Back to the tournament that just finished and Canada's 19th gold medal at the world juniors. Did you get any sense of deja vu all over again? with Dave Cameron behind the bench in a third period lead. I love you, Dave. Don't worry about it. Everything's fine. But I mean, you had to be asking the question. Not only did I get that, but I guarantee you no one got it more than Dave himself. They showed a couple shots on the bench and boy, did he ever look like a little bit of a deer in headlights at a few points late in that game where like you could tell the look on his face was the thousand yard stare. It's like, what is going on here? And is it happening again? And we all saw what happened in overtime and it just about happened again. It was, he was that close to, to losing that gold medal yet again. Thankfully it didn't happen, but wow. Did he ever think that he was a Mason McTavish miracle. Let's just call it what it was away from that happening again, never quit on a play. Mason McTavish in behind the goaltender swats the puck out of the air, clears it away. Canada goes down, scores the game winning goal in overtime. Here is the theory I'm going to put forward to you, Dan. And that is this Mason McTavish. And this will tie into the conversation we'll use to wrap up this episode of the OHL podcast. Mason McTavish did more than just save the gold medal game. He may have saved the game generally with the excitement and the buzz that comes from that miraculous moment. Oh, you're absolutely right. Cause you know what the conversation was going into this U 20 tournament. It was all about off ice things and issues and concerns. And at the end of the tournament, those organizers had to be praying that they'd have a storyline that took the minds away and put it back on the hockey. And all I was hearing after that game and to this day is, I've never seen a finish like that. That was the craziest thing I've seen in all my years watching hockey. And you could debate over that till the cows come home, but it, it'd be hard to say you've seen anything crazier than that. And and for Mason McTavish, now, if, let me see if I got them all right here. There was the NHL, there was the AHL, there was a couple, Peterborough and Hamilton, uh, Ontario Hockey League teams. There was an Olympic appearance and the World Juniors. I mean, what else does the guy have to do in a season? And then to top it all off, the MVP of the tournament and that miraculous play at the end. Yeah, well, yeah. And and I mean, little uh, semantics maybe, but uh, Mike Johnson on TSN pointed out that technically it was two World Juniors almost because the tournament canceled at Christmas and this one. So, Fair. so 
technically different teams because we're about eight different players on this one. So if you just go straight rosters, he was on seven different rosters this year. And that's, that's a lot of turmoil for one player, but he made his mark on each and every one of them. Uh, so you got to tip your cap to him in a season like this. Okay. Whatever it was, uh, Hockey Canada, Junior Hockey, the Ontario Hockey League, put it in a bottle and unseal it when the regular uh, when the regular season starts in September, and hopefully the game can get back to focusing more about what's happening on the ice because that's obviously what many of us want, which again is not to be dismissive of the clear and obvious problems off the ice. So let's let's talk about that elephant in the room here, Dan. And, and we've been around the game long enough to recognize that this is, I would say, a much needed reckoning on the culture of the game. The question becomes, can the game recover from it? Does it survive in some recognizable form moving forward? Yeah, you know, and I could probably talk all, all day about this because I, I get pretty passionate about this. I take a little bit of a harder line. I'm not going to sit here and throw the book and say kids never make mistakes and that kind of thing. But I think the hockey culture is something that is long overdue to be addressed. And, and there's a real problem when these full on assaults are occurring and the reaction of the adults in the room is how can we keep this under wraps? How can we get these kids out of it? When the reaction isn't, this is awful. We need to address it for what it is. And I love that they're going to the extent of having training and courses for these kids and trying to explain consent and these other things. But the cynic in me says 18 and 19 year old kids know, know pretty darn well what is right and what is wrong. And when there's assaults occurring, when you're, and I think there's a real piece of hockey culture because we've all been in it. Mike, you have to been around dress rooms and whatnot where there's often an alpha in the room or an alpha or two or three and if that particular alpha is not a good influence and has toxic tendencies, they're still going to drag a crowd with them. So how do we address that toxicity in those alphas? There's always going to be alphas. Some of them are phenomenal people. They're just alpha leaders. And you don't want to discredit those people and say that everyone in hockey is terrible because there's an awful lot of those good people too that lead in the right ways. But we have to somehow early on route out the ones that aren't. And I think... I know I, I've coached minor hockey for a lot of years. And one of the first things I always tell those kids right off the bat is I don't care what your skill level is. You can be the best player in the room or the worst player in the room. All I care about is how you treat each other. And at the end of the day, any, all anyone's going to remember about you 10, 15 years out is how you treated them. Throw out the hockey for a second. And I think too often we put those really good elite players on a pedestal and train them from an early age that all that matters is they can shoot the puck in the net. And they start to forget about everything else and they get an entitlement. And that's what we need to route out. And if this is a step in the right direction, I'm all for it. But there is definitely a cultural problem that we have to address. You know, that's a really interesting way to look at it, especially from the coach's perspective. Different sport, but 40-ish years later, I've never forgotten this. I played soccer in the summertime as a kid. I was a terrible soccer player, much like I'm a pretty terrible hockey player, but I was a really bad soccer player, hands down one of the worst on the team. But I had a coach one year, his name was Fraser, he was actually an RCMP officer of all things. Anyway, he coached our minor soccer team and we made it to the championship. And in that championship game, he was so determined that time on the field was still consistent and even for every player, regardless of ability, he had his assistant coach working a stopwatch at that game. And that meant I got regular time 
on the field, even though I was one of the worst players on that team, we won the championship two to one that day, but I've never forgotten him for that championship. And so the way he treated us as equals, as peer, we're all on the same team, irrespective of skill level. And we treat each other as equals that way too. And I think that's where, that's one of the components of this reckoning and this culture change. It's going to have to come from the ground up, but, and this is a big, but there also has to be that support from the top down to ensure that what is being routed out of the game to use your phrase from earlier is actually being routed out of it and dealt with appropriately not tolerated in any circumstance oh yeah and i love hearing that story because i couldn't agree more that's that's always been my philosophy that you have to establish an equality in terms of the human beings on the team and that creates a culture that you're wanting to push forward because these toxic elements and let's not all blame let's not blame just elite players let's not just blame players or just blame coaches there's a segment in each one of those groups that is toxic and those are the ones that need to ask themselves those questions i mean we, we can start with the parents for instance because uh, you see it around the ranks all the time a lot of great supportive loving parents always a few that only care about their own kid and what their opportunities are on the ice or on the playing field and there's so much more to life into the game into everything that if that piece gets ignored or even diminished in any way below what the actual abilities are, you're starting to create a problem there. So everyone starting right from the parents need to start looking in the mirror and figure out what am I creating here? Because at the end of the day, I mean, you can talk about your Deshaun Watsons or anyone you, you can think of that's an extremely elite athlete. What's their legacy going to be? And you want it to be on the right side of that ledger. And let's please all try and work towards that because there is a problem and how are we contributing to that? As we work towards that, and we are now about one month away from the start of the regular season. Is it, sorry, the regular junior hockey season. Is it okay for us to still enjoy the games? Is it still okay for us to look forward to going back to the rink? Oh, it better be because, because <laughs> it's hockey, such a, such a big part of life for all of us. And it's a great game and it's, Tons of great people in it. And I hate when I see people that aren't hockey people talk about, oh, I'm not putting my kids in hockey because of hockey culture. And this, and that breaks my heart because I grew up in the game and I've been in a hundred dressing rooms in my life and different teams and different coaches. And of, of those hundred, probably 97 were positive experiences. They were great. So there's a lot of positivity. There's a lot of great life lessons and teamwork and great people. And I had a lot of alpha males I played with who were great people and took other kids under their wing and whatnot. So it's there. It's a great thing for us. It's just, it's just, we've got to start recognizing that other piece earlier and figuring out what to do about it. Don't let it off the hook. Don't stay silent because you're seeing it and say, well, yeah, but that guy's really good. Coach might side with him because he's better than me. If I say something, we got to start speaking up when we see those things and write it out. Cause you're not just helping potential victims. You're actually helping the kid that's going to commit them. There are tons of positives. You're absolutely right about that. There's also a ton of work to be done and, and I'm here for it. I'm here for enjoying the games still, looking very forward to another season in the Ontario Hockey League. And I'm, I'm looking forward to this reckoning being taken very seriously by the powers that be at Hockey Canada and beyond. The National Hockey League could use some work in this department too, which was being talked about even before this latest scandal that's plaguing Hockey Canada as we speak. This is the OHL podcast. He's Dan Mahar. My name is Mike Farwell. Email us, ohlpodcast at rogers.com. 
anytime. Tell us what you want to hear, what you like, what you don't like. And please, if you're not already a subscriber to the OHL podcast, find us wherever you get your podcasts, like, subscribe, leave a review, and tell a friend. We're going to have episodes every Tuesday and every Friday until the regular season begins. And then, oh yeah, we'll continue to bring you episodes every Tuesday and every Friday of the OHL podcast. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jag and Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.